Hi, you're listening to a podcast of the best bits of Breakfasters for this short week, ending on Wednesday the 21st of September. We're on Triple R every weekday morning from 6 to 9am, broadcast live from Melbourne, Australia. And coming up on the podcast this week, you'll hear us talk about our plans for the long weekend uh, and the grand final. And Dan Salmon was in for Tech Talk, telling us about the latest emoji trends. And as you can hear, Mon's back. Mm-hmm. So we reminisced about our best and worst holidays. Chip Legrand came in to talk about his new book, Lockdown. And we revisit some Radiothon guests with foodies Nat Paul and Flip Shelton. Bobby, Mon and myself toss around the merits of learning magic and we round out the week with a Radiothon flashback with comedian Will Anderson. Triple R. AFL Grand Final coming up this weekend. First time it's been back in Melbourne for well, two years it was away. It was in Brisbane at the Gabba and then was it in Perth last in year? In Perth last year. And it was a night one. So it's back to daytime, 2.30 uh, here in Melbourne. I'm very excited. Grand Final Day for me is like, is like Christmas. It's, it's very exciting. I used to have uh, a barbecue at my place every year. Uh, if my team was in, it was great. I actually felt it was more stressful if my team was in. Oh, I, yeah. I much prefer to... Impartial. Yes. Mm. Yeah, as much you don't enjoy the day unless you win. Then the end of the day you do. But mm. everything leading up, very tense. Um, but I would have barbecues and have mates come over, and I would have to allocate what people would bring food wise. Would provide uh, like the meat and everything on the barbie, uh, but everyone would straight away. What do you think the first thing is that people want to bring to a barbecue? Sausage rolls. Oh, no, oh, bar- no. Potato no. salad. Potato salad. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone. So it's just like we'll have two. <laughs> And then everyone else has everyone to kind of... Everyone reckons they've got the best money potato salad. Don't they? No, nah, but have you tried? <laughs> oh, God. It is so sickening hearing that. Oh. Sickening? I mean... <laughs> I think, no, because I hosted and every year. Everyone's just you like, should, you, you know should go. do? Put, put their money where their mouths are and so, and have a... Competition. Yeah, potato salad off. Lay them, like, lay them out on the Blind table and potato salad taste testing. Yeah. You think it's so good. Okay. Really into that. Yeah, good. All okay. right, well, next time I host... It's like wine tasting me. for carbs. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> invite me and I'll bring one. Not that it's... <laughs> I think... Um... Yeah, no, well, I'm not Imagine having... the loser. You just get your ceremonial potato bowl just tipped upside down. <laughs> get out. <laughs> see the door? Get out. We'll see you next year. Thank you yeah. for trying. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I'm not hosting it this year. A couple of reasons. Um, our TV is too small. I think. Oh, yeah. But I used to have a big TV. Didn't get that in the breakup. So I've just got a small. <laughs> so just got a small. You know when I bought this TV, uh, we went in there and the guy said, he's like, oh, you sure you don't want a bigger one? And I'm like, no, we don't need a big TV. This is fine. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, you know, the biggest regret that everyone has is that they wish they got a bigger TV. I said, mate. We don't need it. This is what we want. We were so adamant. Six months later, we were like, this is far too small. It's tiny. It's, my nephews, when they come over for dinner, they're like, why is your TV so small? Do you know what it, what, it, what its measurement is? Oh, what's the basic one? Is it 40? 42 or something. Yeah, something That's like perfectly that. perfectly fine. It's, it's fine, but it's not something that you would host a grand final for. No, friends of mine who host, who has hosted... I've been to a few grand final parties with a higher projector, or they've just right. got a projector. Yeah, and that's the quality's not as good, but it's, it's not as big. Yeah, it's definitely it's, big. Yeah, it's big. Um, I've I've hosted one where I've had a, a TV in the main area, like it was just a small two bedroom unit kind of thing, and then a TV in the garage so people could smoke if they wanted to. But one was on Foxtel and one was on Channel Seven, and there was a del- delay on one of them, oh. and you, you'd always hear a cheer in one room. 
and then not in the other. Um, but this year, yeah, so not doing it uh, at our place. One, because of the TV, I think that's the main one. Uh, but also one of the neighbours is just... As soon as new, when New Year's Eve is around at five o'clock, when people are on their balcony mm. just having a conversation, this neighbour would come out. Shut up! <gasps> Can you keep it down? Oh. So there is no. We had. We, I had a friend stay over not long ago, and we were just sitting on uh, the balcony, and we were cooking something on the barbie. We were just. It was cold, so we were just cooking and then coming in, having a conversation, uh, and the neighbours come out and just gone. Yeah. They're cooking on the barbie. <gasps> yeah, they're, yeah, they've got people over. I'm like, oh, my God. Wow. So I hate that she's not the reason that we're not having it there, but she's part of it. She'd be proud of the fact that she's part of the reason. That... Oh, she'd be thrilled. She'd <laughs> yeah, buy a loft above a monastery and this happens. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I'm going big though. I'm doing a champagne breakfast at a friend's place. Oh my god! Uh, I know they're hosting. I'm just so excited. So I'm just like they're like. Would neither you like of to... your team, your teams are in. No, it. absolutely neither of my teams. I see what you did there. You having a dig? No, not your old team or your current team. Um, no, they're not in. But I got invited to this champagne breakfast, which kicks off at like I think nine thirty. Anyway, we're not going to get there nine thirty. But I'm going to go there uh, and then coming home and then I've booked a table for um, for lunch at a pub. To go and watch it. And I'm more inclined to go to a pub when my team's not playing. Because yes. I've been to a pub where my team oh. has been playing. I've won and I've lost at the pub. And I think there's, they're just idiots. It, like, I'm, To be fair, I was wearing a football jumper. <laughs> mm. So who's the idiot? Uh, but when we lost, oh, just the continuous abuse. Mm. Uh, thinking they're funny. It's like, yeah, mate, okay. And it, it just wasn't enjoyable at all. But none of my teams are... My team is not playing. Mm. Uh, so I'm looking forward to just going and enjoying the day, sitting. Yeah. I don't think I'm it. allowed to be at my resident. Well, it was said that there are people coming around, but there will not be a football focus. So what? <laughs> what are they coming around for? So, You've got to so put the TV on, but it's going to be playing <laughs> bold and beautiful. <laughs> That's right. Uh, and it sounds like I'm getting a kickback, and I swear I'm not, but uh, Bodrigi or whatever have the two massive screens. And I just oh, want yeah, to. You're always sprigging Bodrigi. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm just looking on the wall. Are they have a prize for no, no, no. They should. Uh, but yeah, I'll, I'll, I didn't know that people, you, if you wore your, the jumper, you of attract. Course. Of course. Yeah. yeah, yeah but but witless, witless abuse. Yeah, constant. And, yeah. you know, I, I know. It I hurts. Well, and I think, like, this year lost to Sydney and I was just like, yeah, mate, congratulations. I think half the time I would try to beat them to the punch and, like, that, you could see them coming. It's just like, congratulations, you guys are the better team on the day. Yeah. Yeah, you yeah. lost. <laughs> All right. I'm aware of the way. Yeah. Uh, my, I remember that day and my mate, she's just like, I'm, I'm out of here. I hate here. Yeah. Uh, and that, I think that was what started the barbecue at home because then we didn't mm. have to deal with idiots. We just had it's the idiots the in one place. <laughs> yeah, totally. L- love to see Bobby like booted out on the street and like just sprawling in a potato salad bowl. <laughs> <laughs> Melbourne's own Triple R. Talking tech on a Tuesday, we're joined by renowned screaming, laughing Dan Salmon. G'day. <laughs> Good morning, Dan. How are we going? Excellent. Excellent, excellent. I'm always really pleased when I can bring something in that isn't doom and gloom for you guys. Thank mm. you. Yep. And 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 today, I think I think we've hit the mark. So, um, what would you say that each of you would be on the emoji use spectrum? Where let's say zero is you might not use them at all, and three is maybe you put them at the end of a sentence, and then eight, nine, ten is where you construct entire sentences out of them. Oh. 
two. Two? Yeah. You two I'm, or three. Yeah, two, two or three. Two or three, I yeah. I wish that's... I was a ten, though. Yeah, well, it's I'm, like I'm amazed at the people who can. And <laughs> there are so many out there that you can now. And this is, it's so, um, Adobe have put together um, a report. They do this every year for National Emoji or International Emoji Day, which I don't necessarily believe should be a thing, mm. but it is. So uh, here we are. Now, um, <laughs> they released their most recent report for 2022 last week, called, and they called it The Future of Creativity, which is kind of, I guess, a, a signpost for what they were trying to say about emojis. So they look at trends for emojis all over the world, including in Australia. And so I thought we'd uh, have a look at, few, at a few of the local takeaways. Mm-hmm. Now, emoji... I'm um, sorry, yes. how are they finding this data? They're, they're, they are re- Re- um, asking people to fill okay, in surveys. So, about okay, 7,000 people across the right. world. They're, they're not you spying. You thought they're they were spying. getting... <laughs> yeah, yeah, going into everyone's <laughs> data. Yeah. Well, yeah, no, I, don't I just needed some doom and gloom. I just need a little <laughs> misery I'll, hit. I'll, I'll take you off air and make you feel really depressed if you're Tell us about more data mining, Dan. Yeah, more data mining. Yes, absolutely. So let's mine into the data that people voluntarily gave to Adobe. So... Uh, emoji use in Australia has increased in the last year. Probably no surprises there. 82% of people are sending up to 50 emojis in their text or online messaging every day. So people are using oh. 50 emojis a day. No, I reckon my mum's doing that. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny that because my dad is one of the non-emoji, and it's always a surprise when he does it well. You're just, oh, oh. You, you, you used one in context. Well yeah. done, old man. <laughs> um, but, so when, when we're talking about using them in context, um, our most popular emojis last year were the crying with laughter one. Mm. Uh, and followed by thumbs up. I think that's pretty straightforward. Then the crying with laughter that's on an angle. Do you know mm, that one? Mm. And I can't really work out why that's different to the I normal don't know crying why with laughter. It's like a little funnier. It's a little funnier. Is it like it's so that's funny. What I that's, feel. that's the ruffle. I think it's that's ruffle, my, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah okay. that's my interpretation of it. Um, and then the the next one after that, uh, number four, is smiling with red cheeks. You know the one where it's kind oh, of like, like bashful. Blushing? Yeah, blushing, blushing. That's the word I'm oh, looking yeah, for. Okay. Yeah, and then the love heart. Mm. As number five. Now, this is indicating that people are a little bit happier than they were last year, probably for obvious reasons, because last year's ones, the number one was the thumbs up. Number two was crying with laughter. Number three was the sad with the teardrop above your head. Oh, Oh, yeah, like you're being rained on. Like you're being rained on. Um, And then number four was crying with the tear in your eye. Oh, God. Yeah. And then the love heart as number five. What does a tear above your head mean? Yeah, I'd like to know that too. Oh, I don't know. Well, I've always just wondered why it's above the head. So I thought either you're sweating... That's what I thought. Or I, it's raining. Yeah. Which is very specific. They have a rain They're emoji. two very different. They are. But, and there's, I think there's a sweat one too where like it's like a head with like sweat coming yeah, off you. Or yeah. maybe, maybe you're being sweated on. I don't know. Um, oh, that's an yeah. entirely new thing. That'll be 2023. <laughs> That'll be 2023. <laughs> so um, we, if, we, if we have a look at uh, people, why people use them. Okay. Uh, so in Australia, 92% of us use them to lighten the mood or to show support for the person that they're talking to, which I, I, mm-hmm. I think no, no surprises there. 64% use them to make their conversations more fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, 50% use them to convey things that words can't say. Oh, yeah, impossible. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> impossible it's, to say. Imagine. I, I feel That's sad. It. Well, I mean, it takes a long time to describe, you know, face with water on top <laughs> that we can't work out whether it's sweat or exactly. <laughs> it's just, I'm so sad that I'm sweating. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's gross. <laughs> it's the no worries if not, isn't it? It's the image version of saying no worries if not. Yeah. Or like adding just into your sentences to soften them. Yeah, yeah. like so that that kind of, you know, slightly passive aggressive. Yeah, or, or well, maybe you can text well, I, I, text I, I, I say down. no worries if not when it's just like, oh, I need you to do this thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe that's in a work context. It's kind of like, oh, it's all, all cool, like, all, all fun, yeah. don't be scared. Yeah, he's totally. A, don't don't a, come to the party, it's fine. <laughs> he's a poodle for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
the other other trends that we've got, uh, people think obviously like are increasingly think that inclusivity in emojis is has improved, which is good. Um, they they things like using different skin color on emojis and ages that are being shown. Um, more than half of us change the color of the emoji to more better represent our mm. own uh, context. So whether it's skin color or hair color or a hairstyle, people think that they would like more hairstyles and more kind of. Hats, I guess. Oh my god! Yeah, I'm not sure. Hairstyles, hair colours. More um, hats, please. Yeah, more hats. Who knows? Well, this is interesting because um, if we think about, they actually did, did a uh, question about which emojis do you have no idea what they mean? Heaps. Heaps. Mm. Right. So uh, number three in Australia was the blue baseball cap, which I didn't even know was one until I read this article. It's just a, it's just it's a, just ca- a cap. cap. It's a, it, just a cap. What's yeah. A, yeah. But I mean, why, why would you send it? Oh, sometimes, yeah. Oh, no. In context. <laughs> the hell? That, You're dragging it. Is that even sexy? Are you being even sexy? In context. <laughs> sometimes I am and I don't even try. It happens all the time. No, it's... um. She thinks she's sending sweat emojis. <laughs> yes. <laughs> By the way, hat, it's really the cap. idea is that that's few. That, like, few. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah. Oh. Or indicates nervousness. But the, oh. but the smile is so seems so genuine, whereas I would have thought a nervous smile might be compromised with indecision, but mm. that is not communicated in the emoji. Yeah, true. We, we're talking about the, the water one, but isn't it frowning? What yeah, happens? there's like, no frowning with it's, the tear above it. Yeah. Oh, that's weird. I don't know. I, I generally am anyway, not frowning when I say the cap is just like if it's related to someone wearing a nice hat or something. Okay, fair, fair enough. Let's see. We do need more hats. <laughs> you just got lied to, Dan Sam. <laughs> <laughs> um, number, number two, speaking of hats, was the cowboy. Hmm. Oh no! That can, yeah, As yeah. In, it's just like no one knows what it means, or or they, there are there are a lot of different meanings for it. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe that's what it means. Mm. And then n- number one was the pair of cherries. You know, like a couple of little cherries it's on the store. Cherries. It's I just mean, cherries. these have double meanings. No wonder we're all confused. Absolutely, <laughs> it's just, it is what it is. Yeah, totally, totally. And and but if you so have, so Bobby's a look at... always sending the eggplant and the water drops. Well, just saying, like I just like what well washed eggplant. Well, no one replies. <laughs> L- last year, the eggplant was number one. <laughs> Wet eggplant. Oh man. Yeah, all right. Um, but but yeah, so e- eggplant was the number one misunderstood emoji, which uh, in my con- my mind is everyone knows what the eggplant is. Uh, everyone knows what it means. And number two was the peach, and everyone knows what that is too. <laughs> but if you're no- on grinder, you definitely know what the peach <laughs> is. Well, yeah. But um, if yeah, num- number three was a terrifying clown, which I think is just number three, the most, under- most misunderstood. misunderstood. Okay. Most misunderstood. Mm. Um, now yeah, look, going back to the the peach and the eggplant. Um, <laughs> Let's talk about dating. Great. So, so, uh, 70% of us think that emojis are essential when you're flirting, essential and absolute non-negotiable. Um, and some emojis are kind of better to use than others. So um, the, the kind of the winky kiss face with the little love hearts, mm-hmm. that's good. Eggplant is bad. Mm-hmm. Too much. Too much. Don't use the eggplant in, <laughs> in your in your uh, flirting emojis. Uh, the, Why am they, I taking dating tips from people who volunteer emoji advice to Adobe? <laughs> that's a very good point. In their spare time. Yeah, no, that's a very good point. I'm not even sure we should be trusting this stuff. Um, but but 62% of us think that our relationships are going well if we use emojis in our context. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. And like, I don't know, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, you might just send your partner just a little love heart to mm-hmm. kind of, you know, I'm thinking of you right now. While I'm having my sandwich at lunch, mm. um, I know I know that I do. You um, sent the sandwich emoji. As I, well? I've never sent a sandwich emoji. Oh, you got to do that. What, what does it mean? It means I'm enjoying I mean... a sandwich. <laughs> In my blue hat, you fool! <laughs> I'm wearing a hat. Eating a sandwich. That is, that is the most understood one. I'm eating a damn sandwich. <laughs> 
but I'll, I'll, I'll leave you guys with um, the observations that they were thinking people could use, would like to use emojis in the future. And this because these were kind of interesting. People, more than 50% would consider buying something using emojis. So maybe you buy a sandwich. <gasps> Oh, wow, okay. Yeah, like what are you talking about? Buying something using an emoji? Like you using an emoji. It, like, you know, text for a sandwich. Yeah, and yeah, you, oh. just, you send it. Yeah, right. totally, okay. totally. Yep. But it, it gets weirder, though, because 62% of us would confirm attendance at an event. I'm not, I'm not sure exactly what that means. Like, I'm, I'm guess that's not like buying a ticket. It's mm. like, are you coming to the thing? Send thumbs up. Yeah, I'm oh, coming. Oh, yeah, here. or RSVP at a wedding. RS- yeah, that, that, that would be, you know, Many people. Happy I'll, be wa- I'll be washing aubergines all night. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really looking forward to the first uh, emoji wedding invite that I get. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to respond with a thumbs up or just like a really angry face. Here's one. Mm -hmm. What is the red devil thing with the long nose? That is um, a like a type of Japanese mask thing. Because I was always like, what is that? Is that a weird sex thing? (laughs) I don't know. I think that's what it is. Uh, Well, I mean, look, it it could be... uh, Could be both. it, so sorry, it could be used for sending or receiving <laughs> payments. Maybe that's thirty-six percent of people would send or receive payments using an emoji. I don't know how. Oh, that sounds so easily like like it could be a mistake. Oh, I just I don't know. I'll just send. I'll, I'll send you some euros and that. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's it's like paper. It's like giving someone monopoly money. You send them an emoji. Surely, with a the bill. more that there are, the less artistic license there is. Because if you if you you know, where there are twenty-six letters in the alphabet, and having Having a limit allows creativity to flourish. Mm. I mean, there's a texter here. Yeah, we, we use a Frisbee emoji for when we're coming to Frisbee that week. Like, <laughs> if we're yeah. getting that specific. Well, I mean, I'd be interested to see, like, if the how, how far we can go with, like, the combination of emojis. Because, Daniel, you're talking about language. A letter is a letter, but then you put the letters together to make a sentence. Mm. So, so how many emojis could we end up putting together to construct something that is completely different to what the individual emojis actually say? Oh, so it's representing a syllable. Exactly, like a yeah, or something. something like that. Mm. It's like, you know... I, the the tick to the you know two people getting married to the um, cake is yes I'm coming to your wedding but then if you just have the two people getting married is it you getting married is that's it, right yeah like this is the thing mm. um, the, the more pe- people would consider going, um, using it to communicate with their doctor thirty two percent. Oh, boy. Yeah, so I don't know, like maybe like an explosion emoji and then your heart. I feel like this oh is indulgence. God. When when our literacy rates are better, maybe we can start experimenting with a new language. Maybe this is Let- the new literacy. Oh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe it is. Maybe you're right, Dan Salmon. Uh, look, I, I think the world may be slowly going to hell and we're just surrounded by emojis while it happens. Yeah, we got there. Misery punchline. <laughs> well done. Thank you, team. Independently yours, Triple R. 102.7. How lucky are we, this radiothon, to have in studio these huge figures of Melbourne's culinary scene? Flip Shelton's a writer, presenter, muesli maker, yoga teacher, and garlic grower who made absolutely tantalising radio talking food on breakfasts for 10 years till 2007. And Nat Paul is the founder and owner of North Melbourne Cake Shop, formerly known as Beatrix Bakes, also a cookbook author and fan of the station. And what a treat it is to have you both in studio with us. Thanks very much. (laughs) Thank you. I thought I was getting the email to subscribe because I have to say I'm a lapsed.
subscribers. So to be actually invited into the studio was so, so wonderful. We don't hold grudges. (laughs) Um, What was it like? Because when you were on, I I would listen, you would bring in food, what, every every time you came in? Every Monday morning at 8.15. And uh, it was just so organic and lovely. And I'd just, you know, on Sunday afternoon, I'd cook something and then, you know, would bring it in on a Monday morning and, you know, it was live on air. There was a bit of, you know, disgusting sounds when people were eating on air. You know, it's not always that attractive. So we always had to turn our mics off. So a bit of food got caught in the mouth on the odd occasion. Sure. <laughs> didn't quite work. wasn't great radio. But it just kind of grew from that. And um, I have actually bought in a few little treats. Oh. We'll um, eat them off air. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they get very much caught in your mouth, some cacao balls. My, yeah. You nearly didn't actually get them because they were in the fridge last night and my son got home from basketball training goes, oh, cacao balls. And I was like, don't there for the breakfast. Yes, thank you. Um, and Nat, what what about your? Tell us about your fondness or relationship with an association with Triple R. Where does it go? Well, I remember when I was working, like I'd work in kitchens quite early, and I would be the first one in there, sort of turning the lights on, getting the donut goes out, <laughs> getting cakes cut, and I was by myself, and so the breakfasters were my buddies, like <laughs> my like. Keep me up to date with news, like um, good chats, you know, music um, that was interesting to listen to or some like old bangers that I'd forgotten. So it was like having a little friend, yeah, beside me while I was like working by myself like super early. Oh, dead set. Yeah, loved it. Yeah. Mm. What, what is it about the philosophy of your food making for both of you that you think aligns with Triple R and community radio and independent media? Uh, well, for me, I... Um, basically cook intuitively so I look at what ingredients are available at the markets or super um, you know the supermarkets or whatever and um, then I just you know I eat and cook with my eyes so I might take those ingredients home and then I just sort of muck around I do have I have to confess I do have 300 cookbooks Um, (laughs) the shelves are kind of coming down with them but I use them more as just bouncing off points so just getting some ideas and then just going with the flow and I think that's the same for Triple R like it's very organic you've got authenticity you've got mistakes made you've got absolute gold there and um, that's they're the sort of that's the kind of analogy that I would say with it just the the creativity is just wonderful and that's what I love about cooking and I'm sure you do too agree agree Um, you can just get in the kitchen you might not actually have a plan and then something emerges and you go oh that's cool (laughs) yes yes same for you guys you know you come in in the morning it's just that chemistry and then the magic evolves and it's trusting the process that something's going to happen not always great sometimes you know but you know more often than not the (laughs) magic's there I just can't add anything else to that it's a I mean it's about community the people like it's not just what you do it's what the people around you um, give back to you as well and in um, enjoying what you're doing Um, it's not about sticking to a script or anything like that like um, of having to do things because they're popular or anything like that it's doing things because you feel like really passionate about them and that's Mm. what this radio station is and just you're marching to the beat of your own drum as well Mm. Mm. there's something about sorry go on please I was just going to say it is the community it is amazing and I've met you know triple R subscribers in the far reaches of the world you know you might be traveling somewhere that you think you know is really offbeat or off off the beaten track and you meet somebody and they go 
your voice is really familiar. <laughs> oh, your laugh is real. Oh, you're Flip Shirley. You know, and you go, I'm on holiday. No, but it's always lovely. But even now, like, Triple R's followed me everywhere. Like, my kid has started new at a school this year and it's always Triple R that, you know, you always gravitate back towards. It's like the it's like the river. It's the lowest point where we all converge and meet and stuff like that. It's just, it's so lovely. It's mm. just everywhere. Mm. It's also the originality of you both strikes me in the pioneering spirit following your nose and doing something exciting and original and it you know you're not doing it to be popular or anything but it's significant and means a lot to people that's right yeah it does i mean i came in for one fill in spot in 1997 so um my friend Ange higgins who was doing market report on cam smith's eatish on a sunday and she said i can't i've got to go traveling but i don't want to leave him in the lurch can you just pop in and just do a market report and here's the address he's a really nice guy he's tall you won't be able to miss him and she gave me the address (laughs) and it was the back door you know in uh, victoria street and i thought i'm not coming out of this place alive like this is just this has got dodge written all over it anyway I had no idea what I was doing I'd done one radio segment in at RMIT many many years earlier anyway I went in with my little piece of paper and my little market report on strawberries see like I even remember that and I was so appalling like I was just nervous and who would have thought I couldn't speak and um, anyway Cam was so gracious and um he didn't say not to come in the following week, so I just turned up again and again and again. Um, and then I think he probably thought it was too hard to turn me away. So I did three amazing years with him and then transitioned into the breakfasters. It's just been fantastic, yeah. Wow. Uh, what about food education? And uh, Because you're a food educator and I'm wondering about the space to talk about food mm. and maybe that wasn't popular on media back then or not as common as it is now oh no definitely um you know like I feel like it was such a wonderful opportunity to be able to talk more broadly I mean I was the black sheep still am the black sheep of the family really in the sense of the way that I like to cook and eat and things like that um so to be able to find like-minded people that were really responsive to these ideas I mean I did you know I mean, Sam Pang still talks about the fact that the Anzac recipe that I gave on air one day, his dad still cooks and stuff like that. So (laughs) that's always fun. But, yeah, look, I mean, now there's a lot of food on mainstream media and the television shows and and radio now more. But I think to be able to speak more broadly and to explore different ideas and thinkings is is so important Mm. because otherwise it becomes a very narrow diet, literally and figuratively. So the more we can talk about food, and it's a constantly evolving thing as well, you know, like food techniques change and are introduced and we learn new things. Um, eating philosophies change and it's so important to be able to discuss these because, you know, it's the community that we share the ideas and then tradition can either carry on or we can get rid of those ideas that don't work for us. Yeah, yeah. It's a verbal history yeah. recipes and like how we um, exchange food and and um, and it's such an important skill for us to have when we like leave home and to be able to cook for ourselves and nourish other people and ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what about since Beatrix closed, just on a on a personal level? Yeah. You've still been going, sort of baking a lot of cakes. I've seen on on Instagram yeah, and so things like that. Yeah. So still doing some whole cakes in a really sedate fashion, <laughs> with no lines whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> and um, just doing some test baking for the second book as well, which mm-hmm. I bought some test baking in here. Oh, Don't yes. worry, it is de- it's 
guaranteed delicious, but it is in, in the... <laughs> Quite happy to be a cake yeah. guinea pig, that's <laughs> Absolutely. fine. Um, but it has been a sense of those big decisions are often quite scary, as I was just saying to Flip, that you worry that you've made the wrong decision and I feel like an, an incredible sense of lightness since... Um, oh, yeah, great. Yeah, so it was a very good decision. I mean, I miss my customers very much, but um, for me it was a very good decision. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And it strikes me as, I don't know, the, there's a lot of inauthenticity and phoniness in the world as well and it seems maybe in that way in the food scene i've worked in television cooking shows and stuff and i don't know it you have to kind of fight for your core of authenticity uh and that's what community radio means to me as well yeah Uh, i think that um these like there's so much goodness in the world and I, th- I was thinking about this yesterday with television like there's so much good stuff that we could see on television whether it's food or, or um, radio or anything um, but we get pushed into this like it has to be like drama and it has to be like people have to pretend to be something to mm. be popular with an audience and I just want that to stop but <laughs> how do you stop this runaway train that we're just mm. like so used to like it creates ratings and it's like makes money for people but the more people that can hold on to that core of being themselves, of being like who they are and being, like you said, like um, if things go wrong or a bit wonky or like not quite right, that's okay and that should be celebrated. Mm. But we had, we are just, that train is just like leaving that station at top velocity mm-hmm. and we need yeah. to hold on to it and stations like this hold on to it and that's what I'm going to resubscribe because I've got a lap subscription <laughs> as well <laughs> and encourage everyone to do it to hold on to the beauty that is um, independence and yeah and like good things good things mm-hmm. yeah. yeah and that just bringing it back to the simplicity I mean food really is kind of like the Ouija board of conversation of family of community and things like that so um, not to be afraid of simple things mm. um, ways to eat simply I mean the television shows especially you know now the expectation is to have these massive meals and three courses and you know a bit of jus on the side and you know Fine. drizzle here <laughs> you know it's too complicated I don't cook like that and I don't find that particularly authentic I love to go out for a beautiful meal um, where somebody can wait on me hand and foot and <laughs> present it to me but no the expectations are high, at home are so much so much lower mm. and much much simpler and I think embracing the simple is really important embracing the creative and that's again what Triple R is as well. Well Triple R has been my introduction to both of you and so I thank the station for that <laughs> and uh, well Flip Shelton thank you for all the lip smacking memories and made it very difficult to get out of the car the day. Thank you for having me. Uh, flipsmuesley.com.au is maybe yes. where to find you. Uh, Nat Paul uh what do you reckon? Is in where to find... Where, where, did you have a title of your cookbook coming out, do you think? Um, I think it's going to be called Beatrix Bakes Again. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's, like a, it's like a horror sequel. Like, <laughs> Beatrix Bakes, The Baking. Or Beatrix, I really want something like that. Beatrix Still Bakes. <laughs> yeah. Electric Bakerloo. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yes. Oh, my God. Um, can I pitch that one? <laughs> yeah, it's all yours. Um, Flip and Nat, yeah. a great treat, and thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for having me. Triple R on FM, digital, online and via the app. So Mon's just come back from a couple of weeks holiday. We spoke about it earlier uh, this morning. And I was trying to think of some of the best or worst holidays that I've had. And I can honestly say I don't think I've had a bad holiday. I've had bad things happen. But whenever I'm on a holiday, I'm like, nothing's going to bring me down. Okay, good. So I'm on holiday. This is great. Yeah. I, I don't care. So I, my luggage was lost in Canada for a week. Uh, <gasps> a week? A week. I was on a Kentucky tour. Yeah. It was, it was very annoying. Uh, but I wore everyone How else's long? clothes, which um, was a bit of fun. Got to meet some new people. 
How long were you away for? I was away for 10 weeks. This was the last, okay. uh, this was the last 10 days of my trip um, and I was going on a Kentucky tour. So, so for I, the last week? For the last week I didn't have clothes. clothes. Yeah, no, that's but what Kentucky's all about, isn't it? Yeah, I was, exactly. <laughs> I was on a bus full of uh, 30 other people that I could share my clothes with. Uh, they could share their clothes with. Um, when I was in India, I lost my passport uh, at the airport once again. Not going to bring me down. Still How? had an amazing. Oh, I, I left it in a bathroom. And uh, anyway, I got it back, which was great. But Whoa, it, it was it was. Sorry, <laughs> don't bring me down, Mon. It was. A I'm good not trip. bringing you down. I'm just asking to flesh this out a little bit. So you left. You went. You're at the airport. Had you checked in? Uh, yes, I had checked in. And then you went uh, to the bathroom. Yeah, and you left your passport there. And it was. I was with a. It was a cricket tour and it was the end of it and I think people were at the end with me <laughs> and then I lost my passport and then they're just like half the squad were like, we are leaving. I was like, just go, go without me. Uh, and just not long before we were going to board, so there, were, there was one other person who was a president of the club at the time. She's like, oh, stay with Bobby. Uh, you guys go. And everyone's just like, cannot believe because I – Look, I had a good time whilst I was over there. Anyway, uh, and thankfully someone handed it in and they announced my thing just before we were So you uh, got on the same on. plane as the rest of the team? I did. That had openly said they hated you and wanted to leave you in India? Yeah. Yep. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But not so going to bring you down? Not going to bring me down. Holidays, no. baby. I'm going to bring you all down. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, I, when I was in Fiji, I lost my, my wallet and, like, literally I had just moved overseas and my mum had given me all of this cash. She's like, now look after yourself. And I lost my bloody wallet when I, just as I arrived and I just had to get new cards and everything because I was living there as well. So all of these things have happened, but you know what? I still have a good time. Um, when I was when I was younger, I, I think back on this, we went on a holiday, a family holiday to Rockhampton and we were visiting cousins. We drove up there, so it's like a 22-hour drive, so it took us a couple of days. Uh, but there's me and my two brothers and then our cousin was with us as well. So we actually had four of us crammed in the in the back seat for this 22 hours in the car. Mm. No air con. Oh. It was hot. It was very hot. Uh, <laughs> and we just wound the windows down. But you know what? Best trip. It was so much fun. I mean, sure, there were times it was very annoying and we were sticking to, like, my brother. We were aged between 7 and 15, between the three of us. Um, we stopped uh, once or twice along the way at caravan parks. God, a caravan park is so much fun as a kid, just with the mm. pool and all the like all the other kids that are around and all the communal space. And, and it's great on a budget, you know, but it was so much fun and then we finally got to uh we got to Rockhampton and we met our cousins there had a, had a great time and we <laughs> went to Great Capel Island mm-hmm. so we got on a boat I got seasick as soon as we got to Great Capel I had an ice cream I vomited and then later I got on the boom net which is on the back of the boat where you it's like a net oh I don't know it's called boom net uh and the waves are in your face best time I had the best bloody time weird? the things that happen that you forget about or or they're almost unremarkable on a trip that if they happen at home, that would be one of the most extreme abiding memories of your whole life. Like losing your... Well, for instance, but as you're speaking, I'm like, I'm pretty sure in Paris, middle of summer, you know, everyone clears out and goes to other places in Europe, but there's there was like a make, like a man-made beach Mm -hmm. or something. Anyway, turn up to this, you know, get on a bus or a train, I forget, arrive at this man-made beach but there are boom gates anyway someone brings out a weapon where he shots fired 
I run into the bushes or whatever. The police come. The shots stop. It settles down. It just went to the beach. <gasps> like, what else are you supposed to do? <laughs> so they cleared the area. Like, they obviously made it. You heard? Yeah, I don't know if there, it was a crime scene. or I mean, they didn't want us sticking around, nosing in. But... Oh, it didn't happen at the beach. Well, it was the boom gates in the, you know, the beach was like a. We had to walk from the boom gates to the beach. And this, you, oh my god! But if everyone else is doing, you just like, oh. Yeah, exactly. And you know, ran for safety, and you know, <laughs> then checked to see if the people else were were okay. You're uh, all good, all right? Uh, George Costanza it out of there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, and and, and imagine if you saw, I went to the beach in Australia, but it was before we arrived. There was guns. It, it would be. The biggest just, story. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Huge. But you just roll with the punches. I think you do. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, 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 yeah. When we were um, in Rome recently, uh, we got a – first time it's ever happened to me travelling, got a bus fine. Oh. oh. What's that? Like yeah. a like a fare evasion for fare evasion. Oh. <gasps> Didn't have your Mikey? Didn't – I had my Mikey and they would not accept it. <laughs> Italians are so They never ignorant. worked those things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But it was this thing where we bought a ticket. Yeah, you can't you can't buy a ticket on the bus. Um, you have to go to a little tabaki to get one, and then you have to validate it. And we'd bought tickets and we hadn't validated them. Mm. And we're on the train on the bus to the Vatican. Um, so maybe there's something in that. And the see these two inspectors get on. I said, Oh, well, we got to validate our tickets. And so he gets up to stick it in the machine, and the woman comes up to him and just just. Push. Gently pushes his hand away from the machine and says, "No, no." And they start speaking Italian. And so then he doesn't—he doesn't, doesn't speak Italian, but also I think probably amps it up and is like, "Oh, I don't, oh, I don't understand. Here's my ticket." And then she's saying, "Yeah," like and basically communicating. That's all. That's great. Um, hand it over. And I was thinking, perfect crime. We're travellers. Just say I don't have I don't have my card on me. You can't trace me. But then Will opens his wallet and they see oh like God, every all his worldly possessions in there. And I was like, Will, oh, oh no, be more dishonest. <laughs> they see your credit card. They know, and then like so then they see that they'll oh, give us your license. So we've got your details. Fifty euros each mm. for not. Which I was like, I've never been fined in Australia, so I think that's probably. Okay. I mean, I don't know what you call what it. What's cost. 50 euros worth? Sorry. Like 75, 80, okay. yeah, 75, yeah. 80, 80 bucks mm. um, each. And they made us pay on the spot with credit card. Um, and then we got off the bus. Oh, I noticed when you have to pay the fine, it's all convenient, all the infrastructure. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Isn't that oh, curious? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can't you can't build a metro line in 27 years when you can charge me. <laughs> yeah. It's true. The same metro line I've been building for 27 years, not mm. finished. Um. But anyway, I just, for whatever reason, I think because, yeah, 50 euro, it, it, again, at the end of the day, you're on holiday, we're having a great time, what a privilege to be here. But I just absolutely lost it. I was so mad. It was like white hot rage I could feel coming up my neck into my face. Really? It must be an emoji for that. There <laughs> <laughs> oh, was. And I tried to say it during Italian, she didn't get it. But yeah. no, and then like... So we just paid it and then we got off the train, uh, the bus a couple of stops later and I just like ripped my mask off. I was just like, didn't say, didn't verbalise anything. It was just so mad. And Will was with like, you need to not, you need to just calm down. Which, Which is the best thing to say to someone. <laughs> no, it was, he, mm. had a, he was, he was, again, just pointed out the obvious truth. He's like, 
could have been worse. It's a cheaper fine. Like, to be honest, apparently the fine, if they catch you not wearing a mask, is, was 300 euros. So it's like, that's pretty good. Mm. 50 euro. Look where we are. Isn't this great? But I just could not believe how mad I got. And I think it's because I wasn't in control. Like, I would have done the same thing. I wouldn't have been able to play it cool and say, like, I'm not paying you. Mm. No. Mm. But I just was like... They just took advantage of us. We did with tourists. We didn't know. We just invalidated. We bought the ticket. Why didn't they? I think I went full blown Karen in Germany oh, in the same yeah. situation. Yeah, I bought a train ticket and I on the train next to the train. I'm like, well, why do you have to validate a ticket? Yes, uh, yeah. you've I've bought the ticket next to the train. <laughs> They make you for Where sure. do you think I'm going? Like, so they make you valid, yeah, when you go the long distance ones. Oh, so like, you've got it. And you can't yeah. But I didn't say anything this to her. I just sat there and I was just so mad and then, like, didn't take it out on Will because, yeah. you know, I'm not a horrible person. But I was glad he was there to, to, to calm me down a bit. Okay. And within, I went, then we went to the Vatican good. and got blessed. And oh, so, good. <laughs> Watch some holy water to cool down. Triple R. This time last year, Melbourne was in its sixth lockdown, culminating eventually in 260 days of stay-at-home orders in a unique effort to stop the spread of COVID-19. The period is interrogated in a new book, Lockdown, by the Walkley Award-winning author and journalist Chip Legrand, who had unique access to decision-makers inside Victoria's COVID response. And to tell us about it, the Chief Reporter for The Age joins us now. Chip, welcome to Breakfasters. Good morning, guys. Uh, So an unexamined lockdown is not worth living through? (laughs) Well, look, they were all... um you know, they're all hard to live through. Uh, but it was, it's just such a big thing in all our lives. I mean, obviously, all your listeners, everyone's, everyone's lived through it. And it just felt like, uh, particularly as we sort of turned the corner this year, I think everyone accepts that the once there was a vac- uh, vaccine available, the sort of the vaccinated pandemic is really different to what we went through in the previous two years. Um, but we just needed to sort of sit back and think, well, hang on, you know, why, why was it that we ended up um, spending so much more time in lockdown than you know, pretty much any other city in the world. What was what was going on here? And, and probably most importantly, look if you know if you weigh everything up, was it the best way to approach it? And so, when we have these conversations, that what have you observed tends to happen? There are camps that emerge. Oh, look, there are. Look, and I think probably my biggest hesitation writing the book was just. Uh, whether or not people really wanted to revisit it because, mm. I mean, let's, let's be honest, it wasn't a particularly happy time for most people. And so do you really want to go back and kind of remember all those, the, um, you know, the press conferences and the announcements and the rush down to the supermarket to, to when you knew that things were going to get locked down in three hours and um, the homeschooling and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, so the, the, there's always the, the you know, uh, difficulty sometimes, I think, in sort of bringing people back to that, you know, time because there's a there's a natural reluctance and then as you say it was very polarized um and it's it's hard to put your finger on you know why it got that way other than it was just such a a significant disruption and i I think for for some people they just you almost had to had to sort of cling to the belief that absolutely every decision was the right one because otherwise you'd get pretty angry at the idea Mm. if it was if we were going through it uh unnecessarily and then the flip side of that, where you, where you had people that really kind of chafed against the restraints and really railed a, a, against this, and and for them, there's still that um, you know anger. It's still quite raw about, mm. about what happened. History says the Victorians are pretty good at doing what they're told by the government, uh, mandating seatbelts in the 70s and then bike helmets in the 90s. What do you think that is? Yeah, it's it's just um, it's just we're just a very law-abiding culture, aren't we? <laughs> I mean, it's uh, you know we're we're roof we're rule followers. I think you know we're all looking at the 
the scenes in Britain and 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 um, and people lining up for, you know, up to thirty hours or something to see the Queen's casket, and we just think that's. It feels a bit nuts, but at the same time, it's kind of what it's sort of who we are as well, isn't it? We've sort of carried on that that tradition of being um, very orderly, very sticklers for things, and and uh, and then when it came down to the pandemic, I, I think there was absolutely a uh, an, an instinct to, you know, a good one, a positive one, to do the right thing, to because everyone thought, well, if this is going to work, everyone's got to kind of buy buy into it, but. Um, yeah, it became a very strong adherence to all the all the rules, and there were lots of rules, weren't there? What are some of the significant moments or events that you linger on in the book, or that you think deserve interrogation? Well, I start the book with the um, the lockdown of the housing towers, and, and and the reason for that is that if we think back to what happened there, and, and remember, this is the this is the only time that um, you had people who were who were locked into their homes. They weren't for the first week. They weren't allowed out for any reason. And they were given no notice. Like so, there's about you know three thousand residents of our um, um, housing commission towers in 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 Melbourne, and they basically found out that they were going into lockdown when you know police turned up on their lawn, and you had the premier announcing it at a press conference. Uh, they didn't have any chance to go out and get any provisions to make any sort of arrangements. You actually had people locked out of their homes because people who were um, um, away, say at work or somewhere else, and they didn't have identification or some way of proving they actually lived in. They were they were kept out of their house for for um, for days, and uh, you know, in one instance, we talk about sort of a week. And I mean, I think if you and again at the time, this was this was um, you know, uh, I've got to get, I haven't got a book in front of me. I'm trying to get, get my dates. I think it's it was in July in 2020, so it's still it's still like early on in the pandemic relatively and we're all still trying to figure out okay how serious is this is this is this all necessary but i think now with the benefit of hindsight you can look back and see we we never done anything close to that since like we never imposed that type of a of an immediate restriction and that complete loss of agency on any other population and and um I think, I think that was quite grievous, that episode. Mm. Mm. Is there any argument that the uh, the actions taken there expose fault lines in public housing as the pandemic exposed fault lines in aged care or health or policing and these uh, these problems persisted pre-pandemic? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that that's really the, the story of the pandemic, not just here but um, pretty much around the world where, where you've got, as, as it tends to, uh, you know, public health tends to exacerbate, you know, um, uh, socioeconomic divisions and 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 um, uh, problems of disadvantage. I mean, you only have to look at who actually got sick and died from the virus. I mean, if if you're if you were um, if you were born in Australia versus say if you were recently arrived from you know particularly Middle East or Africa, you had a had a significantly lower um, risk of dying from this virus than 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 first generation immigrants from those countries um if you look at where the where the the um the cases were concentrated i mean particularly after that you know initial wave when it was remember there was a bit of an affluenza where people were bringing back from aspen and, and this sort of thing but once it really settled into the population it was absolutely in 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 um suburbs in in the west and 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 the north of the of the city where you know people are working jobs where they can't afford to uh work from home they're not able to work from home i mean they're these are you know people working in, in the gig economy and and uh, people that are doing uh, shift work. They're having to work in multiple jobs, and, and and that was really the thing that 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 was that, that kept the in some ways it it 
meant that the, the whole notion of eradication was always a bit of an impossibility because there was for some people you just couldn't you know you couldn't you couldn't stay at home in the way that that some of us could so no, I think there was there was all sorts of ways in which it, it, it really showed those fault lines. Mm. Uh, you were in the unique position where you went to Tokyo in the middle of lockdown. It was, it was, it was quite bizarre, really. I mean, because you know, you, you, like this is again, so this is two thousand and twenty-one. Um, we're just about to head into our into our final uh, lockdown, and so you know, we're all still you know can't go whatever it is five kilometres away from home, and, and you're driving to the airport. Um, the, the airport's completely deserted, um, you know, Telemarine, and it really did feel like you were just kind of, you know, those, those times in life where you just feel like you're going the wrong way. <laughs> it's like, what, you know, what am, I, what am I doing here? And then you, and then you get off in, um, in, in Tokyo and in, in the airport there, I mean, the whole thing was like a sort of a, I don't know, it was like a sort of a scene out of a film, of course, because everyone's everyone in the airport's in the full PPE. They're kind of lining you up and they're taking you through. It took about six hours to get through customs and all the different sort of interrogations and get all your paperwork and, and that sort of stuff for the uh, for the different authorities arriving in Japan. But then the really interesting observation was that, I mean, this is a country that's putting on an Olympics in the middle of a pandemic. And a lot of their public health officials thought, this is crazy. What are, what are you guys doing? Like, we, we shouldn't be doing this. But in a, in a way, it, 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 it worked. And, and, and I think the, the thing that I took out of it was that in Japan for... Um, for reasons that have to do with the you know the settlement after the Second World War, the national government doesn't have emergency powers. They can't coerce people to do things in the same way that governments here can, which meant that they their whole public health approach was basically a request. It, it, it depended on people agreeing to do certain things and, and, and ultimately it was up to individuals to decide what they wanted to do. So if when, when it came to their kind of suggested restrictions, you could either follow it or you didn't have to. If you're a business, you could either shut or you didn't really have to. If you're a bar, they wanted you to close at 8 o'clock, but there was no police coming around and ensuring that you did. And the fact that Japan was able to get through that the first couple of years of the pandemic with, with um, in some ways, uh, no lockdowns and also very low uh, loss of life, to me it sort of spoke to the importance of agency in public mm. health, that, that really you need to... You need to invest and empower people to to do that, rather than the sort of the standing up and pointing the big stick and and um, saying you must do this because I think that wears thin after a while. You mentioned hindsight before. It sounds like a very you know huge tenet of your book. Did you have these you know these thoughts at the time, or do you think and others, or do you think it's only when looking back you realise Japan's approach, for example, was was a good one, or at the time. You know, do you think those think those lessons are only learned in retrospect? Oh no, I think there was I think there was plenty of concern at the time for how we were, we were going about things, and and I mean so I mean certainly the towers mm. was something I think everyone was was pretty outraged by by what happened there in in real time. Um, I think there, there were other little things, and, and it, it's funny you think you talk about it now, and, and they're small things that kind of. Just rankled like little little things like the remember the the, the situation we had children's playgrounds were sort of taped off where you weren't we, kids weren't allowed on on play equipment at these sort of things and parents were getting ticked off for having sort of takeaway coffees in playgrounds and this kind of stuff because and you flip back okay now this is this is a bit of hindsight obviously but what we now know about the virus is really if you want to keep people healthy get them outdoors you know get them into the fresh air this sort of thing in in a lot of ways locking people up in their homes. Or, or in their apartments, um, 
you know, isn't necessarily the best way to keep them mm-hmm. healthy. Um, and, and that's not a new thing. I mean, you know, if you go back to, say, the way in, in the UK they used to they used to deal with, say, uh, tuberculosis outbreaks, mm-hmm. um, you know, they, they'd send kids to school, but they they just throw all the windows open in the old school buildings and say, well, okay, we've got to have some fresh air coming in. So, you know, in a lot of ways we were sort of reinventing the wheel um, in response to something that, the world had gone through before. I mean, we had dealt with epidemics of respiratory viruses. So, I don't know. I mean, yes, it's a it's a combination of it's a combination of um, hindsight now, but also at the time, it felt like maybe we hadn't really learned enough from what had happened previously. Mm. Does the AstraZeneca rollout come under scrutiny? Oh, it does, because I think that's the that that was the real look. You know, it's just it was just such a missed opportunity, and, and really just tragic what happened. I mean. You had this um, life-saving vaccine that was getting manufactured in broad meadows. It was in abundant supply, and the public health messaging about it, and particularly the the stance taken by um, Atagi in response to the but the um, the the small risk of a serious you know complication in terms of the the blood clotting, it absolutely killed demand for that virus, and of course that cascades into the problems we had with the, the federal government's um, lack of sort of foresight in, in making sure we had enough of the, the Pfizer vaccine. But, yeah, I, th- I think that's just a, an awful situation. Because if you think about it, if we, if we had a wholesome in, embrace of AstraZeneca, I mean, we might have been out of lockdown sort of six months earlier. Mm. Mm. And just finally, I suppose, what sort of unintended consequences do you think uh, your book is seeking to explore uh, that, you know, we might not encounter the effects of until a little while? Well, I think the hardest one to, to, to measure is to understand the, the impact on young people. So particularly the, um, you know, the two years of interrupted schooling, but also, and I spoke to Susan Sawyer, she's a, um, an expert in adolescent health at the, at the Royal um, uh, Children's Hospital. And she explained that, you know, particularly for adolescents, so if we're talking about people say 15 to 24, the most important thing in your life at that stage, and your whole brain is sort of wired to this, is socialisation. Like it's less really about even your relationship with your, your family than it is with your peers and finding your place in the world and understanding how to get on with things and building those relationships and exploring and all, all the rest of that stuff. And for two years, we basically didn't let young people do that. And I don't think there was much consideration given at the time to what that meant. I still don't know... I don't think any of us really understand exactly what that meant, but um, I think that's going to have that. That's a bit of a time bomb in terms mm. of what that means for the development of of that cohort of young people that that live through this time in Melbourne. Mm. Well, it's certainly raw for a lot of people still, as we say, it was only a year ago we were still in lockdown, and uh, but we can relive all the hits: the Nebulizer <laughs> Man, the Craggy Burn Delivery People. <laughs> They're all in there. <laughs> Uh, it's Lockdown. It's the new book by Walkley Award winner, Chip Legrand. Chip, thanks for coming in. No worries. Thanks, guys. Triple R. My younger brother wanted to be a magician when he was growing up. Is it normal that one sibling in the family wants to do card tricks or be a magician growing up? No, no one in my family wanted to be a magician, but I do remember one year my brother got a, like a magic set for oh, Christmas yes. or something like that. Mm. I think it's a phase, like dinosaurs. Yeah. Oh, yeah, mm. yeah. My nephew's still going through dinosaurs. Um, <laughs> and watching all of David, David Copperfield. Yeah. Channel 10 or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, my brother was – I think it started with uh, with a present that it was a mm. – m- 
magician set, whatever it was, a magic set. Um, but he he persisted, I would say, for a couple of years. Like this was his thing. And at first it was a bit of fun. Like he would, you know, try to do different tricks and he would show us and we'd be like, oh, you know, that's great, well done. But then he just kept going um. and going. And it's like I, I'm done with the tricks. He's just like, he, like my older brother was doing homework, my dad was at work, mum didn't want a bar of it. He's like, I need an audience. I'm just like, God. This is really tiring. Um, anyway, it lasted a little bit. Uh, it, it, like I said, a couple of years. He, he quite enjoyed it. But I remember also going out in the like early 2000s and going to house parties and having one guy that would like go around to the groups with a deck of cards trying to do tricks. Do you remember those um, guys at parties? Or is this – no? I know that they exist. I mean, they. I'm familiar with these – kind of characters appearing at very high-end parties, like, yeah. you know, Paul McCartney's birthday or whatever. You have yeah. a magician go around. But I've never heard of the amateur, um, you know, Burwood East version yes. at, you know, Mindy's 45th. Yeah. I think you, ha- you it's the sort of guy you meet in a hostel as well. There'll be some guy, yeah. you know, who's there at the communal table, like, or pick a card, you're like, Oh. I know. I think I think at one point it was, I, I do recall it being like, oh, this is cool. But then it was like, all right, this guy's at the party again. Like, put What's the cards worse, away. What's worse, like that or Wonderwall? You know, <laughs> that guy's going to be at the party. That being said, I roll my eyes at it, but I, I'm always impressed by a good card trick. Yeah, like, me yeah. too. So this is, I mean, it's, they've got a PR problem, obviously. Yeah. So yeah. it's possible that there are some... Um, well, shall we say, uh, jokers corrupting the rest of the pack? <laughs> oh. Because, because yes, we're all we admire card tricks, yeah. or and it, it can be done well, yeah. but and yet we're you know we have residual bad memories. Yeah, well, I think I think it's good. You know, the first couple of times that I saw it, and when I was out, I remember being out at a bar, and this guy was going around at the bar, like oh. just in the group of people that we were all hanging out with. Anyway, um, like God, he's still going at it. I think you know, like I said, the first couple of times, great, and then I think you need to move on to another group or other people. Yeah, that's yeah. So I think it's great, and I do love it, but just not too much of it mm. for me. Don't oversaturate it. Don't oversaturate it. Mm. Uh, I remember one year we uh, in a junior cricket team, the coach said that we had to learn how to juggle quicker balls um, and we most of us sucked at it. There were a couple that were great. Uh, but he said, and we kind of just laughed it off. It was like, oh, no one can juggle, no one can do this. And he said, well, if you want to make the cut, which is in two weeks, everyone has to learn how to juggle. If you can't juggle, you don't make the cut. And, wow, did we learn to juggle. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, And li- we thought he was joking. He's like, no, it's not very hard. Three balls, hand-eye coordination, just the basics learn to juggle. So we would learn to juggle. Um, and, and yeah, everyone that made the team learned to juggle. It was actually quite cool when we were playing another state and in the warm-up we'd all be standing there juggling. Okay, maybe it was daggy. Um, <laughs> no, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, we were so cool. Oh, my God, I'm the magician. It's the donkey's hucker. <laughs> it is the donkey's hucker. Did I see you at a hostel in Prague? <laughs> Oh my god, I'm mocking myself. Um, can either of you guys juggle? I mean, I can't now. Anyway, that I can't. Said, I, I can't either. And yeah. I, think I, I still think it's impressive. Yeah, me too. Not an intimidation technique, like that. <laughs> no. <laughs> if I can do Absolutely. three rotations in a row, that's a huge win. Oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah. I, I think what I was trying, you know, when you, you always have, you've always, had, everyone's had a go trying. Mm. I did that classic thing where you just like pass the other ball underneath your other hand. Oh, shit. I think it's like the rookie. It's like the, oh, I'm juggling him. I think my sister once was like, you're not juggling. Stop yeah. it. 
Can you juggle with two balls or it needs to be? Like it, what, what if there's always... What if oh. two balls, one hand? That's juggling. Okay, but two balls, two hands. What if? What if it's never still? I don't know. Yeah, that's, I think that's what I would try to do. Then it's like, oh no. Yeah, it's not working. But you're you were doing it with three with your little doing, hacking thing. Yes, <laughs> yeah, we were doing it with three, and you had to stand still because that was the thing as well. Like mm. I, I, I could do three rounds, but I would walk. 15 metres because mm. as I was throwing the balls, I was walking away. But you had to learn how to do it and stand still. And what do they teach you about the, how high it goes? Because I imagine people mm. would throw it high to buy time. Yeah. But the further it goes, the more it can go wrong. Mm. Yeah. I, from what I recall, it was just above your eye line. So you yeah. just do it so that the highest point would be just above your head yeah. when you're doing it. I mean, I can't do it now. I, oh, I could no, do it for lost a, it? Yeah, completely lost it. I could do it for a year or two, but then that was it. I took him out to a bar one night and, oh, my God, I got shunned from everyone. <laughs> I mean, I think I have a friend who'd learned. <laughs> Juggling in people's faces. <laughs> you want a drink? Yeah. I, I'm pretty sure there's someone I know who learned magic tricks purely for this party situation. Yeah, right. Like it was their kind of like cynical in. It's kind of like a, John Key, maybe the former New Zealand prime minister, learned golf purely for cynical reasons to close business deals. Or oh, really? whatever. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I wonder if that's one reason why people pick up magic. Yeah, it could be. I, yeah, like oh, I'm socially like if you so not so not even socially awkward, but just like I don't know how to break into conversation. Here's my here's my thing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I used yeah. to carry around. I still have like a tennis ball or whatever, and then I had to get rid of it. What? what, 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 what yeah. So because what, it was so you like because tennis? it was like well. You can't have a grown human walking around with a tennis ball. Oh, you just need something to bounce. Well, I, I enjoyed having it and it helped me think or whatever. Oh, oh yeah, like, yeah, 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 gotcha. But, um, a ball or something. Yeah. But it it, uh, it got crushed out of me like my spirit <laughs> uh, by conforming to n- normy existence. <laughs> I don't know if it's normy. I mean, I would sometimes carry, and I got this from my mum, carry around a tennis ball um, to to use in my, the knots in my back. Oh, <laughs> yes. Yep, yep. So I just get into a party and roll around on the floor. I don't know why I never got invited back. <laughs> I know how you did that. <laughs> Who said that? It's that bitch with the tennis ball on the floor. Triple. Ah. Will Anderson is a uh, comedian and king of all media in Australia who is a lifetime subscriber to Triple R, helped fund the relocation of our new studio. It's a great pleasure to welcome Will back to Breakfast. Hey. Yay! Well, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate this. It's been the best investment that I've ever made in my career, to be honest, supporting <laughs> Triple R, because I get it, I get invited back for at least one interview a year based on that. So I would say to any young comedian out there who wants at least one opportunity a year to get on Triple R, get, get, get out your wallet now. It might feel like a lot of money at the moment, but 20 years from now, you'll be like, this has paid off well. That's beautiful. Uh, we just had Joe Strummer of Hearn Hill subscribing, which was terrific. We do have enormous reach. And I was wondering where your association with the station began uh so yeah so the first time daniel my comedy was ever played on the radio was on triple r it was on a show called the cheese shop which dave taranto who was a legendary triple r figure and a legendary melbourne comedy figure 
um, you know, there's an entire generation of comedians who owe a lot of what they are as comedians to the cheese shop shows that Janet and Dave used to run at the Prince Pat in particular. And so that's where I grew up doing comedy. And, and Dave was super supportive of my career in the early days. And so suddenly he was putting me on these shows with, you know, Anthony Morgan and Greg Fleet and Miss Itchy and Linda Gibson and, you know, Judith and all these these comedians that I had up until that point only admired from the audience, you know, and then suddenly I was sharing a stage with them. And then one day I was listening into the cheese shop and your younger listeners won't understand this, but this was before you could, you know, download a Kamal Nanjiani clip off mm. YouTube and understand <laughs> what his stand-up was. The only way that you ever heard about international stand-up was on this show that Dave Taranto would. And the great thing was he had such brilliant taste so you'd be hearing about comedians like bill hicks or paula poundstone or you know these people that you know greg proops that wouldn't necessarily be on your mainstream if i went into a like a local um you know shop to buy a comedy album back then basically you were talking about you know the oeuvre of rodney rude kevin buddy wilson <laughs> the 12th man and then probably if you were lucky a billy connolly or Bill Cosby <laughs> before <laughs> before that was a terrible choice that could get you cancelled. But they, they were the only things that were really available. So uh, this show was, for somebody who was interested in comedy, just such a huge influence on me and the sort of comedy I was doing. And then to hear my own comedy played on that show was... It was, it was pretty exciting. Yeah. Well, I was glued in high school every Monday listening in the 90s. And it's it's a tradition that we try and continue. Bronwyn Cuss was in recently and said that it was her first ever radio interview on Breakfasters. We had Prue Blake in before she won Raw. It's, it's something that we tried to platform new comics. It's Well, you know what it is too? You, this is what you remember. This is, you know, the moment where you start to think, oh, hang on, I used to listen to, you know, people's words coming out of this radio and now suddenly I'm being played on the radio. Like, you know, it's still, there is something still incredible about that, even in this modern world where people have incredible capacity to broadcast. I mean, when I, the era I'm talking about, you know, there wasn't that capacity to have your own podcast or YouTube channel or TikTok channel or any of these ways that if you now are an artist, you can get your work out there. You really had to wait for traditional media to give you an opportunity. And often that first little opportunity that you would get would be on somewhere like Triple R. And that's why, you know, a station like Triple R is so invaluable, not just to like the culture of a city, but to like the culture of the entire, uh, like, you know, so if, if comedy grows out of triple R in Melbourne, right. Then that comedy goes on to Melbourne. Comedy goes on to influence Australian comedy because Melbourne has been in the traditionally the heart of Australian comedy. It has the biggest festival. That is the meeting of the minds of comedy every year tends to be around the Melbourne international comedy festival. And then of course, now we see artists like Hannah Gadsby or Ronnie Chang or any of these people, Josh Thomas going overseas and their voices becoming voices that are part of the mainstream debate. When Dave Chappelle goes on Netflix and, you know, does transphobic jokes, the person they talk to about that is Hannah Gadsby, mm. right? You know, and so, like part of the worldwide cultural conversation, that first little seedling started in an interview in Triple R or somebody hearing their material on Triple R. So I think that sometimes it's not just brilliant that you're giving somebody their first opportunity, but you've got to follow that path a little to see how much influence that can have on the cultural conversation worldwide. Yeah. Mm. Are we, I think maybe uh, exporting a sensibility which 
is exciting to be at the grassroots of when you subscribe. That's exactly what it is, right? It's mm. the start of a sensibility. You go, if, if we can create this and other people can relate to it, then it naturally grows in of itself. And you can just see the evidence that that's happened through Triple R over the years. So, yeah, absolutely. Like, subscribe to the radio station because you like listening to it, but also subscribe because if you believe in the arts and you believe in music and you believe in this sort of culture that you enjoy and you look at the rest of the world, sometimes we look at the rest of the world, and I think this is our problem in media in general is, We've become like the first year uni student who ate sensibly at home and now can make own their own decisions and all we do is eat, you know, buckets of chicken and like <laughs> lollies all day long. And then there's a point where you're meant to settle it out. That's what we're like with culture and entertainment now. You know, we click first to that story about the revealing dress at the VMAs before we read about climate change and we eat our dessert before we eat our vegetables. And we do this all the time. Mm. You know, if we make better choices, we can influence the way the world is. You know, yeah. we can't – sometimes we look at the frustration of mainstream culture and just think, oh, oh God, another show about a masked singer or whatever it is. And <laughs> But the best way is not to get angry at the thing you don't like that is popular. The best way to support anything that you love is to support it at the ground roots of what you love about it. That's – that's the difference you can make. That's why I always say to somebody, if you like some young comedian and they've got a podcast or a Patreon page or a YouTube channel, the best thing you can do is just sign up, support it, retweet it, tell somebody else about it, spread the word. That's That that makes you a patron of the arts. And Triple R have obviously this system where you can literally become a subscriber to the station. You can buy in. You're a shareholder <laughs> in the cultural conversation that's happening that that stems out of the station. So it's cool. What about when you have been a guest on Triple R, not just on Breakfasters, but over the years you talk about, you know, you bought your way into one interview every 12 months. Do you find mm. uh, a difference? Are you Do you feel different when you're being interviewed on Triple R as opposed to other stations or networks? Well, the fact that I've had so much time to answer these questions has really <laughs> yeah. thrown me, to be honest. There's a couple of times where I stopped because the natural rhythm of radio is they'll want to move on to some other topic and you guys all just stared at me like, no, please go on. <laughs> and I was like, what is happening here? <laughs> that's so true. Yeah. Um, we do have some names to get through just while you're on the line, if that's okay, because they really are coming in. You've inspired people to jump online to r.org.au to subscribe. Uh, Jeff Wood of Sandringham has renewed to the station. George Heilman of Hampton East has renewed and donated to Requiem for a Scream. And Danielle Belleville of Thomastown has renewed and donated to Einstein and GoGo. Says, love learning things and feeling smarter on a Sunday morning. Always interesting. Keep up the good work. Robin English from Montmorency is a new subscriber and donating to the station. And Candace, dear Buffalo, renewing as a band in Yarraville to Twang. So thank you. And thank you to Jace Sconce from Mooney Ponds, renewing and donating to us, Breakfasters. Oh. And uh, same with Beth Dunlop from Huddleburg is renewing passionately to Breakfasters. Thanks, thank Jay. you. Yeah, Will, I, just in terms of radio and what Triple R provides, because you're a very curious person with eclectic tastes, but and people tend to have to maybe curate their own tastes, whereas I find personally that having Triple R and addressing the programs like Einstein A Go-Go and Uncommon Sense, which is coming up, and specialised music programs, it keeps you uh, it keeps you curious and broad in one place. Yeah, I think there's one of the downsides of the algorithm, and there are many, and even on Triple R, you don't have the time for me to go into all the reasons that I distrust the algorithm. But one of the things that I don't like about the algorithm is it's very much based on if you like this you'll also like this uh, yeah and what ends up happening is 
that you're like, you know, say, for example, you watch one Radiohead clip. They're like, <laughs> okay, now I'm going to serve you a whole bunch of things that, you know, if you like Radiohead, you'd like this. But I like Radiohead, but I also like Run the Jewels. They're not <laughs> like, you know, they're different acts you know and suddenly an algorithm and it can obviously do this around news it can do this around entertainment and what what you do need in this world where there is so much entertainment is the idea of is there somewhere that i can go that i can trust because what happens now you're like i don't need the algorithm i need that cooler cousin that i had who was a few years older than me <laughs> and had a massive record collection and i would go around and he would play me stuff and he would explain to me why it was cool and why it was important and why i should be interested in it that's what i actually need i don't need something that says hey you like this you can also have something that's basically the same thing but with icing on top of it no thank you <laughs> and that's also the case obviously when it comes to our opinions about things you know if you go on these algorithmic journeys on the internet the rabbit holes you end up being served things that reinforce your opinions. And I think this is perhaps what differentiates Triple R from any other radio station in the country because traditionally the way radio is segmented is very much in the idea of if you want sort of more conservative positions around news and politics, you're going to go and listen to 3AW. Or if you are looking for like, you know, um, this particular style of pop music, you're going to go and listen to this particular style of pop music station. Whereas like... The interesting thing about Triple R is that it is a very much a broad church. You know, from program to program, you can be talking about very different topics in a very different way, but also very different perspectives on life. And if issues will bleed into each show, you know, if things that are part of the cultural conversation will come up in very different ways and you'll get a very broad perspective on an issue and often come to look at the same thing that everybody experienced. Obviously, the pandemic was a classic example of this, I think, where that was part of everybody's conversation, regardless of the style of show that you were doing. But everybody was talking about it from a different perspective. And you turn on the television or the mainstream media and you would just see these very binary perspectives on something that I, I think we all understood wasn't binary. Mm. You know, everyone would be like, oh, it's, we've got to lock down everyone. We've got to let everyone be free. And most of us were thinking, I reckon there's a whole bunch of positions <laughs> in between those two yeah. that are actually probably better for us all. Like you can understand the effect that it has on people's mental health, but also worry about people who have autoimmune deficiencies. <laughs> I think where Triple R always feels like a station that me is willing to have that messy conversation yeah mm. that not everybody there's there's not that sense of group group think it is there is a sense of what you get on the label with triple r but also you're suddenly steve jobs and look, look let's not quote steve jobs on many things but i think this is one thing that he did actually get right which is he said it's not the customer's job to know what they want right and I think that Triple R gets that. And I think that a lot of other places don't get that. A lot of the other places, the way that they put together their music, their schedule is they like ring someone on the phone and they say, hey, do you like this song? Would you like this song if it sounded a little bit like this song? That's the way that you, people are being served their entertainment. Whereas Triple R still has that feel of, hey, if you like this, you might also really like this, even though it's, it, it will seem weird and completely different, mm. like the first time <laughs> I play you this song or talk to you about this thing or get you interested in a topic that you never in a million years thought, 
I never thought I would listen to a show that was about this. I, this this is not something that I ever would have downloaded a podcast or watched a TV show or borrowed a book to read about. But because it was on my radio and it, it and it started after another show that I was listening to, suddenly it's something that I am listening to. Mm, yeah. and, and I think that... I think we've lost a lot of that in this on-demand entertainment environment that we now live in. Beautifully said. Yeah. As always, we are hard up against 9 o'clock. Uh, can't thank you enough for all that you do and uh, looking forward to chatting within your next 12 months for your annual chat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a great investment, guys. <laughs> well, Anderson, thank you. Triple R. Thanks for listening to a podcast of the best bits of Breakfasters, which is the Monday to Friday breakfast show broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia. Feel free to get in touch with us via Facebook, Twitter, Instagram or the Triple R website.